0: Today, we are in part three of our study, The Art of Spiritual Warfare. And today, I actually want to open up with a quote from a gentleman who is a Swiss-born Frenchman. Uh, his name is Gustave Velbert, and uh, it's actually his pen name that he went by. But this gentleman, he did some very, very comprehensive research going into history looking for something in particular. He was looking to identify the prevalence of war. The prevalence of war in the history of this age. And he went back so far as to 1500, not A.D. This guy went back to 1500 B.C. It's pretty amazing. And he, he, he did this in the, in the, in the mid-1800s. And I want to show you what he found. This is, this is what he found. We read, from the year 1496 B.C. to 1861, in 3,358 years, there were 227 years of peace and 3,130 years of war, or 13 years of war to every year of peace. I want you to think about that for a second. Having to go 13 years just to get to one Measly year of peace. Thirteen years. And put this in perspective in a lifetime. If you were to live a full life into your mid-80s, okay, that would mean during your entire lifetime you would only see peace six years. Think about that statement. Within the last three centuries, there have been 286 wars in Europe alone. Now he goes on to say this. Listen to what he says. And he added... That from the year 1500 BC to AD 1860, more than 8,000 treaties of peace meant to remain in force forever. They were concluded. Think about that: over 8,000, over all these generation after generation going back, identifying there was over 8,000 peace treaties where kings get together. And they say, let us join. Let us have an indefinite peace with each other. They concluded. They ceased to exist. But not just that. What does it say here? The average time they remained in force was two years. Talk about a joke. I mean, seriously, all these peace treaties, and all this peace that man is seeking, that man wants to attain, they can't even make it go for two years. They can't even get it to work. What does this tell us? When we look at this, what does it tell you? I'll tell you what it tells me. It tells me peace is an illusion. That's the reality. Peace is the illusion. War is the reality. War is the reality. I love what Coleman McCarthy, he was an American journalist, and he really speaks to the reality of what we just covered. And he says, everyone's a pacifist between wars. It's like being a vegetarian between meals. (laughs) You think about this statement. It's pacifist, that's you get, in between wars. And all he's saying is, what is the reality? He's saying, he goes, yeah, you can be in the notation. War is the reality. That's the truth of what we're faced with. Everything uh, that relates to our past as mankind, and for that matter, the future, it's all centered around war. That's the truth of it. War is the common denominator. Now, over the last couple of weeks, I started today off by going through these physical realities. But over the last couple of weeks, what have we been covering? The reality of war in the spiritual realm. There are angels. There are demons. This is the truth. I open up with looking at, well, the reality is war in the physical realm. And what I want you to understand well now to understand is everything I was telling you in the first two weeks was just proven by going through these statistics. And what, what I'm saying is, is the spiritual realm, it is not independent of the physical realm, as I've already told you, but it is intertwined. In other words, if there's war in the spiritual realm, there will be war in the physical realm. We will actually physically experience it. Oh, and what do you know? That's exactly what we see. We have hard evidence of what I was talking about in the first two weeks. There truly is a war in the spiritual realm. And the things that happen in the physical realm, they do get manifested into the spiritual realm. The things that happen in the spiritual realm, they get manifested in the physical realm. And you're going to see this more and more as we continue in the next couple weeks. But given this reality, what should this prompt us to do? Okay, Daniel, yeah, we know there's war. No matter where we look, there's war. Well, it should prompt you to pick a side. If you see there's war, you now need to pick a side. Choose you this day whom you will serve. One of the things you realize when World War II erupted, what were countries doing? Countries were scrambling to align themselves with other countries. Why? They were picking their side. War became a reality for them when they recognized that now we need to pick a side. This is where we get the axes and allies, right? At the axis powers of Germany, Italy, and Japan and Hungary and Romania, all that, and then you had you know the Allied powers of the United States, Canada, Russia, China, all these, all these countries. Everybody was scrambling. To pick their side. And of course for us, uh, as believers, that's instrumental. Because the side you pick will determine whether or not you will have victory. Amen? 1 Kings 18, verse 21. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. This is the cry. This is the Gospel message. The Gospel message was all the way back to the times of Elijah. This is what it is. It's the cry to come to the Lord. If the Lord is God, follow Him. We're being presented with a choice. Pick a side. Pick a side. You think of when the children of Israel were at Mount Sinai. We find Moses, he does the same thing. He cries out to the children of Israel, to pick a side you remember the whole Mount Sinai experience they come in the covenant Moses goes up the mountain he meets he's meeting with God to get the stone tablets he gets the stone tablets he comes down and what happens Israel is sinning now this is going to be significant as we continue to so try to follow along but he sees Israel sinning. He casts the tablets out of his hands. He's angry, okay? He's extremely angry. He grinds up the, the, the idol into powder, makes them drink it. But then he does something. Look at what he does. In uh, Exodus 32, verse 26, Then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. He drew the line in the sand. He comes down. They're committing evil. He sees the evil that is happening, and he draws the line into the sand and says, if you're for the Lord, you come to me now. That is it. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. We continue in verse 27. And he said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from entrance to entrance throughout the camp and let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. So with this calling to come to the Lord's side, what does Moses call for? He comes down, he calls, if you're for the Lord, come to me. But what is he calling for? It's calling for war. Even to the degree that we see war against his own flesh and blood. Flesh and blood that has rejected the Lord. They now have become their enemies. I want you to ponder that for a second. What, is it, what does it have to do with us? How does this apply to us? Well understand when you come into the faith of Yeshua, this is exactly this is exactly how it's going to go down. You are going to be called to the you're called to the Lord's side, and then you're going to be called to war. And let me offer some proof to this. And what you'll notice is, is what we just covered here is reiterated in the New Testament by Yeshua. Except Yeshua is stating it in the first person. Now this is very important because Yeshua, remember, He is the prophet like unto Moses. Alright? So in Matthew 10.34 we read, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Very, very powerful. Despite all the peoples, uh, mostly in, in the western culture, attempting to paint Yeshua as this Jewish hippie, that make love, not war type of Messiah, when our Messiah came, He came to declare war. He didn't come to bring peace. He came to bring the sword. And it's interesting, Yeshua, when He came, and keep in mind He came down from heaven, did He not? He came to a what? A wicked and sinful generation. This is what he came to. Isn't that interesting? Because when you see the parallel, you go back and you look at Moses. Moses, in a sense, came down from heaven. He was with God. He came down. And what did he come to? A sinful generation. The people were committing idolatry. The same thing. It's the same same. Now look at what Yeshua goes on to say, because this is a perfect parallel. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be those of his own household. Does that sound familiar? This is exactly what Moses called for when he said, all who are on the Lord's side, come to me and let every man go to the camp and kill his brother. What do we take away from this? When we join the Lord's army, When we make that commitment, my friends, you better count the cost. Because according to your flesh, to follow the Lord, it's going to cost you everything understand that luke 14 verse 33 so likewise whoever of you who does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple in matthew 10:38, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me he who finds his life will lose it and he who loses his life for my sake will find it if in fact we take the stand that we are going to choose the lord and we step on that side of the line, we're going to follow Yeshua to be his soldiers, there's a couple things that you might want to take into consideration. Number one, as I mentioned, count the cost. You need to be all in. You need to be willing to lose it all for the sake of the kingdom. You know, it it prompts me to think about December 7th, 1941. This is World War II. Pearl Harbor incident happened where we America was attacked by the Japanese. And something interesting, we had come to a point in the realm of history where technology was getting more advanced, and the, the actual attack was caught on video. It was caught on video. Well, guess what? Every American was glued to their televisions on December 7th, watching this horrifying attack by the enemy coming against them. Do you know that on December 8th, They had an unprecedented amount of Americans coming in to enlist into the army. Unprecedented blocks long of these youth of America coming in to enlist. I'm going somewhere with this. Why did they do that? They saw the reality of war, it became real to them, and it burned in their hearts. They wanted to go fight for freedom and for justice. They did not want the enemy to come in and to oppress them and afflict them. They saw the war. It moved them. And they went to go enlist. And what's so funny is that mentality is so different than the mentality that many people in the service have today. I mean, I have friends in the service... I have many friends in the service. Most of my friends went through the service, may not be there, um, but I have many friends still in the service. And they will not hesitate to tell you. No hesitation to tell you, well, why are you in the service? Well, I'm in here because I need the education. You can't afford the education. So the reason they went and served, the reason they went and enlisted, was solely to get their education paid for. And they don't have a problem telling you this. Or it's the the, the financial security. Or for the medical or the, the dental benefits. I'm going to tell you something. In World War II, when these kids, when this mass... I mean, men and women all over this country, when they saw the war, when they saw that they truly... the reality of being attacked by an enemy, they went to go enlist, and they weren't asking about whether or not their education was going to be paid for. They weren't asking whether or not they were going to be financially compensated, if, if, if uh, uh, there's a good dental and, and medical plans, they were there for one reason, the cause. That's why they were there. They were there for the cause. They seen the face of the enemy, they seen the oppression, and they wanted to step up and fight for freedom and for liberty. In the very same way, this needs to be our attitude. This is exactly... Should be our exact. If we're doing our job, one of the things we have to do is go out and preaching the gospel of Yeshua, paint the picture of war. Because that's the reality, and it should burn in the hearts of the people to come to fight for that which is right, for that which is moral, for justice, should burn in our hearts. This is the mentality we should have when we're entering in. Believers coming to Yeshua shouldn't be asking, well, what's in it for me? What's in it for my flesh? What kind of education am I going to get out of this? Second thing I would suggest is that once you've agreed to be enlisted, the next thing you need to do is prepare for war. One of the most important ways you can do this is by heeding the following. Proverbs 24, verse 6. For by wise counsel... You will wage your own war by wise counsel. What does that mean? According to Scripture, we're going to wage the war through wise counsel. Real simple. It's right here. It's this book. This is wise counsel. Understand something. This is the war manual. This is the war manual. This is a book of war. You need to read it. You need to study it. You need to learn it. You need to memorize it. And you need to do it. This is a book of war. This is where we derive our instructions on how to fight. It teaches us how to fight. It gives us the ability to fight. Supernatural ability to go out and fight. Secret intel. You want intelligence on your adversary? It's in here. You want to exploit the deceptions of the enemy coming to take you out? It's in the war manual. It's where it is. I was recently watching a documentary with my wife on what is known as the OSS. And it's the Office of Strategic Services. Now, if you're not familiar with this, uh, this was an intelligence agency that was established quietly in World War II. It was for espionage. It was, it was a spy agency. And they recruited and, and trained agents. The, the whole concept was to go behind enemy lines. They were to go behind enemy lines, gather intelligence, be saboteurs, all in the name for freedom and justice. So this eventually became the CIA. What was so interesting uh, about this documentary is they were interviewing agents that are actually going back to World War II that actually took part, that were recruited, and went to the OSS camp. And they interviewed them, and over and over again, something fascinating kept catching my attention, something fascinating kept coming up. And that is the amount of gravity that was put upon something known as the OSS Manual. The OSS manual was invaluable to the organization itself. It was invaluable to its success. It was invaluable to the training of the agents. In fact, one of the testimonies of the agent was the fact that his life was saved in the face of these two German officers because of his training, because of the the manual that he studied, that he learned. He put that training into work in the battlefield, and it saved his life. It saved his life. In the very same way, that's exactly what the Bible does for us today. It trains us to handle the worst of the worst situations. The more familiar we are with this manual, the more capable we are of gaining victory. The more formidable we will be against the adversary. I want to take you to Psalms 144. This is Psalm of David. Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He trains my hands for war. Understand, when you come into the faith of Yeshua, you are going to be entering the most intense training of your life. You're going to experience things you've never experienced before. You're going to be pushed to do things you never imagined you were even capable of doing. You will be challenged on every level, pushed to the brink of total collapse. And I mean physically, emotionally, psychologically. (laughs) Make no mistake, you are going to be bent and you are going to be broken in every which way you are going to be conditioned to be lifted up to be able to be able to battle to be able to battle hosts of wickedness deceiving hosts of wickedness demonic spirits you'll notice that soldiers who fight in battle Soldiers, government, when the governments orchestrate their armies and so on and so forth, they don't just grab men off the street, throw them in a battlefield without instruction, without training. Rather, they're brought through this rigorous process of training so that when war does come, they don't just fall down paralyzed with fear or they don't just fall down confused, not knowing what to do, not being equipped. I can't tell you how many times I've heard uh, uh, special operatives and and, uh, and, and various soldiers, whether it's the Rangers or the Navy SEALs, and and in these interviews these people would ask, how do you guys do this stuff? You guys are amazing. You guys are so well organized. You guys were accomplished a mission that in, in the face of all adversity nobody could accomplish, yet you did it. And the response of these men over and over again is, We did what we were trained to do. We did what we were trained to do. I mean, that's the reality for us. You need to get trained. You want to learn the art of spiritual warfare, you need training. Hardcore training. So that when you are confronted with real life scenarios, in the spiritual realm, in the physical realm, you are equipped. You just follow your training. It's amazing to see how soldiers, when they get engaged in warfare, a cog clicks and they just resort to the training. They fall back on the training. Something they've been doing habitually, day after day after day. That is what we need to be. We need to be soldiers of the Most High God. Psalm 1834, David says, He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. Think about that. So my arms can bend a bow. It's not a coincidence. David's using this imagery. Nobody can bend a bow of bronze. That's not something normal that men can do. And yet David says, he teaches my hands to make war to do what? To accomplish the unthinkable. To accomplish the impossible. It is the very same thing for us we are to be trained in war so that we can achieve the unthinkable a special ops team where people go and they scratch their head as how do they do that all the different life scenarios that present themselves in front of you you can overcome them as life hits you from the left and from the right you'll be equipped You study the life of David who made this statement. You discover David's life was filled with training. David's life was filled with chaos. It was filled with war. One battle after another. But it was all part of God's plan. It was all part of his training. A great example of this is the whole Goliath incident where this monumental heroic figure of the Philistines standing roughly nine feet tall has come out to defy the armies of God and Israel is quaking in its boots. They're terrified. Well, until David comes on the scene. And Look at what it says here in 1 Samuel 17, verse 32. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth. And he, a man of war from his youth. In other words, Saul's just coming out saying, David, you are not equipped. You are not equipped to fight this battle. This guy over here, from his youth, he has been training." Look at what David says next. Look at how he answers this statement in verse 34. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Verse 36. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. So David, he explains to Saul, I have been trained. I have been trained for war. I have fought the lion. I have fought the bear. I'm ready. I am ready for this battle. And this is what you need to take away from this. There's going to be things that are going to happen in your life that are going to challenge you, that are going to be very, very difficult. You're going to face trials. You're going to face tribulations. You're going to face temptations. Brutal things will hit you out of nowhere in your life. And they're going to test your faith. And when it happens, you are going to need to resort to your training. You are going to need to persevere. You are going to need faith. Strong faith to make it it through this. You know, there's a false perception that exists. When you come into the faith, everything's cotton candy clouds and these beautiful sunsets. The reality is, you come to faith In Yeshua, you are going to war. War is the reality. And war is hard. War is brutal. War is sacrifice. That's the reality. But there's good news. It's all worth it. That's what this book is about. It's all worth it. It's worth it to persevere. Because there is going to be redemption. There is going to be rest. And there is going to be reward at the end of this age. But we need to be trained, and we need to be willing to fight. I want to take you to the book of Judges. And in this passage, we're given some valuable insight into the reality of war and why there is war for us believers. You're going to want to pay very, very close attention to this passage. And just to give you a little backdrop here, uh, on the context of this passage. The children of Israel, they've successfully been brought into the promised land. Okay? They're dwelling in the land. Conceptually, obviously, uh, w- one would think, well, okay, the Lord's brought them into the promised land, the land of milk and honey. He's made good on His promise. All should be well. There should be this perfect eternal peace. It didn't exactly play out that way. Look at what we read in Judges 2, verse 21. I also will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died, so that through them I may test Israel, whether they will keep the ways of the Lord to walk in them as their fathers kept them or not. Therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them out immediately, nor did He deliver them into the hand of Joshua So, we read here, the Lord, He leaves the pagan nations in the promised land for the purpose He wants to test His people. He wants to know whether they're going to follow Him. Are you truly loyal to Me? This is is what the Lord wants to know. How loyal are you? Are you true soldiers? Now, There's a deep spiritual connotation in in this passage here that we need to walk away with. We need to look at this passage as though it's talking about believers coming into faith of Yeshua. In other words, just as the Lord brought Israel into the land of promise, so too, we, in a like manner, we're brought into the land of promise by coming to faith in Yeshua. And you think about it, what happens when we come to faith in Yeshua? Do the battles stop? I mean, do the trials and tribulations and temptations, do they just cease all of a sudden? Well, the answer to that is obviously no. You have to deal with them. You have to war. You're battling these things on a level you had never battled before. Listen to what is said next in this passage in Judges. Now these are the nations which the Lord left, and His talks about the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Philistines, and so forth. "...these are the nations which the Lord left, that He might test Israel by them, that is, all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. This was only so that the generations of the children of Israel what, might be taught to know war, at least those who had not formally known it." He left the inhabitants in the Promised Land, their adversaries, their enemies... He left them there to teach them war. He wanted them to know war. And you think about what David says, how true it is. The Lord trains my hands to know war. It is going to happen. When we look at the book, we look at what's going on here, you better believe it's going to happen in your life. If we come to faith in Yeshua, it will be war. We will be tested. In fact... I'm going to take you to the new testament and show you the parallel to this very passage look at what yeshua says in matthew 13 verse 24 another parable he put forth to them saying the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field but while men slept his enemies came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way but when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop then the tares also appeared Now, I ask you, does this sound familiar? This is exactly what we read in Judges. You had the wheat, Israel, going into the land, and what was allowed to grow up among them? The tares. Exact same scenario. And we continue on in verse 27. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir... Did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? And look at how he responds. Verse 29. And he said, No. Don't do that. Lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the uh, time of harvest... I will say to the reapers, First, gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. In other words, there's always going to be tares among the wheat. There will always be trials. There will always be tribulations. There will always be war. Take it to the bank until the time of the harvest. And then it will cease. Because there will be only one king ruling and reigning the entire earth, and all the kings of this earth will, will fall before him. Amen. We have to decide whether or not we're gonna fall victim to these tears, to the attacks of the adversary. You're gonna have to decide whether or not you really truly want a war. How bad do you want to bring glory? to the name of Yeshua. Is that at the top of your list? I mean, because it it, it has to be. Your intimate relationship, it is going to depend on how you respond to the Lord training your hands to make war. You know, one of the things that you discover in uh, Navy SEAL uh, training camps, guess what? Not everyone makes it through there. They psychologically get tormented. They were not capable of handling it. Others were not capable of physically dealing with the abuse, with the rigorous training that they went forward to. I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to be put through that. And you need to overcome. Psychologically, emotionally, physically, you're going to need to overcome everything that is going to come your way. And always putting your faith and trust in Yeshua, knowing at the end of the day, He is God. He is in control. We have nothing to fear. Amen? Everyone can rise to your feet. We're going to do our battle cry. "Hero Israel, today we are on the verge of battle "...with our enemies, do not let your heart faint, do not be afraid, do not tremble, do not be terrified because of them. For the Lord our God, it is He who goes before us. He will fight against our enemies, and He will save us from our enemies. Today, we will go to war, we will not fear, we will not faint, we will not give in to the flesh, and we will not give in to our enemies." Today we will stand and we will fight. We will conquer through the might of our Lord Yeshua. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And amen. Music team can come back up. I'd also like to remind people we're going to have people at the back that are ready to pray uh, with you. If uh, you have a need, uh, you need to be encouraged. You have a family member that needs prayer. Uh, Prayer's where it's at. That's the battlefield. That's the core of the battlefield. Shabbat shalom.